Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. My name is Darren. I'm your host. And today I've got a couple special guests that have been on before. I welcome back Lloyd Capuccio and Kevin Liddell. And we're going to talk about sous vide experiments, some that we've done, some that we're going to do. I'll be right back with Lloyd and Kevin. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from fire and water. Hey all, I want to introduce you to a company I just started working with, Fresh Jack's Organic Spices out of Jacksonville, Florida. They're a small, family-run company that's fast-growing. I've tried a bunch of their different seasoning blends and spices, and I can tell you they are all fresh, all organic. None of them contain artificial flavors or sweeteners. None of them have anti-caking agents or preservatives. They all taste like they were just made for you yesterday. Check them out, guys. They're on Amazon in the link below. They have different sample packs, different blends. Like I said, they also have the individual seasonings and spices as well. Fresh Jack's Organic Spices. Check them out, guys. I love them. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. Today, I got a couple of great guests that have been on before, but always welcome them back. I have Kevin Liddell, and I have Lloyd Capuccio, the kosher dosher. Kevin has his own Facebook group uh, for sous vide, sous vide food and fun on Facebook and uh, has studied sous vide extensively. And Lloyd is the kosher dosher, has his own uh, actual uh, food blog and is a moderator for several sous vide Facebook groups as well. Welcome guys. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, Darren. Hey guys. Whoever's was watching. <laughs> All right, let's let's start with you, Lloyd. Just give us a brief history of who you are, where you're from, what you, what you do. Um, not too extensive, and then uh, we'll okay. go to Kevin. Uh, Lloyd Capiccio, uh, born and raised in New York City, uh, air traffic controller for 35 years. Always been a foodie since I'm a kid. Uh, started sous vide 2008, 2009. Been uh, cooking ever since. That's about it. That's it. What else do you want? I get uh, I lift weights. <laughs> <laughs> I eat that's what it. I cook. That's right. That's what Protein I want to know. Bigger. Protein makes me bigger. You're living in Washington State now, correct? Living in Washington State. That's where my job took me after I got out of the Navy after five years. Gotcha. So, yeah. all right. All right, Kevin. Let's talk. Let's hear about you. Where are you from? What do you do? I'm from northern central Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been cooking professionally for 25 plus years. Uh, more recently, I've been more into the sous vide stuff, and I'm kind of looking to find a way to teach the method and and introduce restaurants and catering companies to the method and how to utilize it and teach the safety aspects and, and proper techniques and develop recipes and help them out with their menus and that sort of thing. Yeah, so we're all pretty much big sous vide junkies, and um, we, we follow uh, a lot of different sous vide uh, uh, cooks and you know authors and we we all kind of do our own thing I, I i like to mix sous vide and barbecue uh, you guys are also in my group as well and, and you guys kind of we all kind of do the same thing we like to play around and experiment with stuff so this is kind of the episode i want to talk about a lot of these experiments and why we do them and how sous vide is not just a uh you know, a kitchen gadget. It's more, it's a, a complete method 
that has so much more depth than just cooking a, a great steak or cooking chicken breast or, or pork, you know, to the perfect temperature. I mean, it, there's so much more that sous vide can do and what it does that um, I want to kind of, you know, talk about that and, and have people understand what they can actually do with sous vide. So Lloyd, you have the blog, the kosher dosher, and I'm going to pull it up here on the screen so people can see it. And, um, just kind of see some of the experiments that you do and just kind of this is a list from your blog of all these different experiments that you've done uh warm aging we've talked about that in the past where oh yeah you, you can use sous vide to uh, cook cook something at a lower temperature and then uh you know uh, for a couple hours and then turn the temperature up and it gives it that faux aging flavor to it um, some other things that you've done recently, um, and I want to talk about is the uh, time and temp. Oh yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun. And this one here, I'm just going to kind of scroll through it. Lloyd does a lot of intense uh, blogging about his experiments. He does keeps a lot of uh, data and throws it up there. So there's always when you look at any of his experiments, you're going to get pretty much. <laughs> everything that you want to know about the uh, experience. So uh, what he did and how he got to the conclusion. So I'm just going to kind of scroll through so people can kind of see you, you always have some of the other um, resources that you've consulted, like, you know, Baldwin's uh, pasteurization oh, yeah. tables and, and things like that. And other, other authors and other books and things like that, that you can, uh, that you, uh, you know, reference so that people can understand that it's not something you made up. Uh, let's, let's talk about this one in particular because it, uh, it really intrigues me, especially that one of the things people don't understand with CV when you're cooking, especially in a water bath at a precise temperature, instead of like an oven where you're cooking at 350 or 375, where you're cooking very hot, and you cook something for an hour, it takes it a lot shorter time for that particular protein to cook and, and for the internal uh, part of the, the protein to get to a, you know, a pasteurized or a cooked state. With sous vide, um, especially when you're cooking a bigger piece of meat like a roast or you know, a whole chicken or things like that, one of the things people I don't think understand is that you have to account for that time. Let's talk about that experiment. What made you do this experiment, and what did you um, what did you find out when you started it? Well, what prompted me, like many other experiments, is people on the Facebook groups arguing, you know. And uh, Russell Wong actually brought me into the conversation. There was somebody that cooked what was it a two point five inch steak for two hours. It complained that it was virtually raw inside. And people were telling him to increase the temperature. When I was able to identify who was at the temperature, I think it was 131 or 133. They thought the cause was the temperature when it was actually the time in the bath. So at, let's say, two, two and a half hours for a two and a half inch steak, you probably met, probably reached a target temperature of like uh, 128, 127, when you set it for 133. Uh, visually, we really can't tell the difference. So they thought to increase the temperature, fix the problem. It did. He needed more time in the bath. 
So Russell went back and forth. I went back and forth. I tried to contrast that with some of my other experiments. I said, hey, I'll just try another experiment to show people the errors of their ways or what they think is right or what they think is wrong. So, um, and for me, it's always fun to do that. I did some contrasting, of course, between a, a 59 millimeter protein and a 34 millimeter protein and contrasting the times to hit the target temps. I think one hour and 90 minutes and one to two hours. So, and One of the things that I see a lot of, and I try to correct people, not just in my group, but in, you know, exploring, you know, Jason's group. And I try to correct people all the time. They'll say, well, I, I, I cooked this two inch steak for an hour at, you know, whatever time temperature. And I don't think anybody ever understands that a one hour in a sous vide bath does nothing. It just heats it well, up. Well, it does if it's less than an inch. Yeah. <laughs> and that's only to hit the target temperature, nothing more. It is right. a veal cutlet or a work, but, you know, maybe a chicken yeah. breast. But you, I, 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 I wouldn't be weird. A chicken breast would have to be hammered out pretty good. I mean, yeah, a full okay. chicken breast, I wouldn't trust cooking for an hour, even at 130. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, even not just the pasteurization tables. I mean, it's just more of, if you're going to cook a, you know, even a one and a half inch, you know, New York strip or a, a, even a filet, it really barely, you know, warms it up. So it's not really doing much. You're not getting the benefit of sous vide by cooking anything for an hour, you know, unless it's a, at a higher temperature like vegetables. You know, if you're cooking at 190 degrees, your broccoli, that's, that's where, you know, an hour comes into play. But a lot of the proteins and stuff that people are cooking like, like you said, Lloyd, they're not giving it enough time. Um, no. you know, they, they may be cooking at the right temperature, but the whole time, you know, uh, aspect of it, they're not taking into account the thickness. And that's why a lot of, that's why a lot of the, the pasteurization tables and the guides ask for the thickness and not how much the meat weighs and people can't get their heads around that sometimes because well, they always say, well, I got a four well, pound I, uh, this. I got a, you know, two pound this. How much is it, you know, how long is it going to take? You know? My, yeah, uh, yeah there's a lot of law, weight. I'm... Good. Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, well, I've run into this quite a bit. And the example I'll use for people is, uh, you know, because they're going by weight. I, I'm saying you could take a 20 pound piece of meat that's an eighth of an inch thick and it'll cook really fast and you can take a yeah. one pound piece of meat that's really thick and it takes a long time and they sometimes don't get it but sometimes they do my uh, sister-in-law talked to her husband my brother-in-law into buying her a jewel for her mother's day i think two years ago we talked about sous vide cooking and she looked to the jewel app and she bought a really thick ribeye it had to be god an inch and three quarters maybe maybe uh two inches thick it was pretty big and she sends me a pic and says, oh, fail. Well, she used the basic steak um, a recipe in the Jewel app. It said, uh, if you like the color on the picture, it said 129, two hours for a ribeye. And we all know ribeyes can benefit from higher temps because of the fat content. But two hours for a two-plus-inch thick steak, she showed me a photograph. It looked like it was at 125, 126. It didn't look very uh, appealing to eat. Yeah, I, I think the apps are terrible, personally. And um, that's why I always I tell people to go to Baldwin Stables. I love Baldwin Stables. You know, he, well, he's the guy I go to. I like Jason's um, time and temp guide, and I point people there because it gives a range, and it does have thickness. Oh, you know. it's pretty good. It's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got a very variable stuff. And 
I always tell people, you know, it's, it's, there's a range because it, you can't just say this particular temperature because it depends on how thick it is. And it depends on what your idea of medium rare is. I mean, my idea of medium rare might not be the same as you, you know, some people's oh, idea of medium rare is, you know, more towards the rare side and some it's more towards the medium side. And, and there's that range that you can figure out. And I said, you know, this is what you need to do. Take that guide cook a couple different things, you know, choo choose a couple different temperatures and times and then find the one that you really like. And then still dial it in. You'll yeah, dial, dial it in dial eventually. It. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's no set, you know, one that's perfect. There's but gonna, that also there's... applies to different cuts too. So for example, uh, you might find like 133 for a ribeye is good where I like 128 for a, a New York strip. You know, so depending on the cuts, I have a different uh, 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 temperature I like because of the fat content and, and what it is. Exactly. So that's kind of why and then, I... And then the, go ahead, Kevin. The, the length, like, like, like with New York Strip, uh, a great tasty cut of meat, but they can be tough. Oh, yeah. So, you know, whereas a ribeye, I'll, I, I, you know, I'm not probably going to do more than four or five hours. Uh, I have no problem throwing a New York Strip in for 12 hours at, you know, 128, 130, or 130 whatever. Um, yeah. Just they, they need a little tenderization. In yeah, my opinion, it's hard to uh, to turn a New York strip into mush. You really got to, you know, it's got to go, you know, 24 hours plus. I mean, that's it people, is not tender. Yeah, it's not a tender piece of meat. And I don't care what people say. I mean, it's it's not a filet. It's not a ribeye. It's not, uh, you know, uh, it's not something that it's going to you're going to hurt it by going to the longer time. Um, yeah, for me, a New York, uh, I like the uh, the color at 128. But for time, it's got to be five to seven hours for me. Where, right. like Kevin said, a ribeye, I actually do a little higher temp because of the fat content, but a, a lower time some, most of the time. So do you think that most yeah. of these guides that are with the, the apps, you know, like the Innova app and the Jewel app you, you mentioned, um, there's others, I'm sure. Uh, do you think that they don't account for the thickness of the meat as much as they should? or? Um, I have an answer for that. Kevin, did you want to comment on that first or? Well, I think there's an example. I know you saw it, Lloyd. Uh, mm -hmm. Someone had posted, uh, it was out of Germany. Uh, it was a German group that, oh, was, that yes, has yes. equipment for sale. And uh, this guy put down, they said it was from some barbecue expert from Germany. Never heard, I don't know who the guy was, but they put down sous vide temperatures, suggestions that were just off the charts. I mean, dangerously low temperatures and yeah. saying that that was appropriate um so you really have to be careful who your sources are and that's why i you, you i always go back to baldwin if i if i need some you know if i feel like i need some some guidance because temperatures and people's opinion i mean it's just all over the place and there's you, you need the science behind it you do so for me um i have a an experiment on that page you brought up earlier called it's called the tale of three ribeyes. And in there, I talk about those three ribeyes and I actually use Baldwin's tables. Uh, I believe I use the uh, PolyScience app, which is based on Baldwin's numbers a little bit. I'll explain that in a second. And I contrast that with my SUBI probes and see which one came in closer. The tale of uh, three, yep, that's it. Tale of three ribeyes. And in there, if you scroll up, I talked about the different sizes, you know, 42, 66, and I think 79 or whatever it was. 
if you go to keep going, keep going, keep going. So you always got a lot of stuff I got to read. <laughs> oh yeah. So for example, if you look, this is the first ribeye I did, right? This is the, uh, the, the uh, 42.07 millimeter. I contrast that with Baldwin's numbers, the sous vide toolbox, which is made by PolyScience, and what my sous vide probes actually produce. You scroll up a little bit, and I talk about if you actually use the, the Baldwin's tables were the best, by the way, as far as contrasting those with mine. If you go to the uh, toolbox here uh, at 42, at 134, I, I contrast that time uh, with mine. And then it gives you the ability to increase the core temperature by 0.5 degrees. And I put that time there. What really happens is, um, if you scroll up now, as the, as the protein gets thicker, the app is way off. I mean, it's, it's completely off. Um, I will not use an app. Now, uh, I have it on, um, I won't mention my source, but PolyScience app, uh, the Joule app, um, they're based on Baldwin's logarithms and math, but the, what the, how do I put this in a nice way? The person that built the app didn't actually use his numbers per se. They changed some of his, uh, his percentages. So they are really, really off. You go to the last ribeye, let's go to the last, the third ribeye. You go to the very, very bottom. I think I made a comment about how long it suggested for pasteurization. Uh, keep going, keep going. Let's see, stop. Um, see, uh, the pasteurization actually took place. Uh, God, I got so much crap there. Oh, my God. You guys will just have to read it. But basically, in this particular experiment, um, I contrast the apps with actual data. And uh, Baldwin's numbers were much, much closer to mine, um, where the apps were, were off as much as 40 or 50%. So yeah, I, think, I, I think the apps overgeneralize things, try to make it simpler for people. They, uh, not, they, actually, I guess actually, they try I, to make... I disagree with you there. This Poly Science app, which I've got two of them, okay? The original and the old one have my phones. and I, It's based on math. It's based on someone creating that app, taking Baldwin's logarithms, typing those in, coming up with real precise parameters for thickness, time, I mean, everything, cylinder, slab, I mean, but they did a bad job of inputting his information. So it's not even a generalization of what it's supposed to be like, it's just a bad job. They did a so bad it's just job. bad data input. Bad data input, yes. And, well, I know that like, with the Innova and the Jewel app, yeah, the Innova and the Jewel app are, you know, they're geared towards the everyday user. They're, they don't make them very complicated. You know, obviously with the Jewel app, it's got the pictures. You know, right. Pick the picture you want, and then that's what it's going to turn out to. Yeah, the Jewel app and, is and general. And I've never, I've no, I don't think I've ever used a time and temp from the Jewel app because I've looked at it and go, there's no way. You know, they use... They, they, they are way off on their times. I oh, yes. Know, I don't know who put those in there. Um, you know, and that may be a great machine. I mean, people love the Jewel uh, machine itself, and that's great. And the app is good for looking at the pictures, but mm -hmm. the, the, the time attempts are way off. So I think your earlier comment about generalization applies to the Jewel app, but for the PolyScience app, which is based on a lot of math and, and logarithms, um, 
they just like like Kevin just said, this is bad data entry. I'm not sure if that was on purpose or it was just a mistake, but this is terrible. And that's pretty bad because you know poly science is geared more towards the professional chef and yeah. the commercial kitchen. So that's really bad if they're they're using bad data. The jewel and the Innova I can understand because it's just out there for a general audience, but it's still when you got you know the 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 shorter cooking times that the Jewel app uses, that can be dangerous if something's not pasteurized. Well, I, I haven't looked at the Jewel app in a very long time because like you, I don't use it, but I b believe uh, for the general steak, it showed, uh, if you like this color, 129 for an hour or two. Yeah, they got short times. Yeah, they got short times. Yeah, for, for the thickness. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Right. Well, we that, ran into that. Uh, the three of us, we talked about it a bit. There was someone who had posted a experiment. They were comparing a, a, reg, a steak that's pan seared and one that was cooked sous vide and then seared. Uh, but if you watch the video, we watched watch the video. That was, oh. They were both quite thick, very thick steaks. And uh, he liked his steaks really rare. So he was cooking at 120 degrees for two hours. And I'll bet. I mean, I, just guessing, like Lloyd and I, and I discussed, that steak never reached 120 degrees. Right. So he was comparing apples and oranges. He was comparing apples and oranges, basically. Well, and he and then, concluded and then, that he doesn't, doesn't like sous vide steak. And then <laughs> what he did after that, he, he put it in an ice bath for a good <sighs> 20 minutes after hour, while, 20 while minutes, the other yeah. steak was sat there at room temperature for the same amount of time. So he had a he had a one steak that was at room temperature for – almost 45 minutes the whole time the sous vide steak which he barely got up like you said it probably didn't get to 120 at all because it was too thick and it didn't have enough time and then he stuck it in an ice bath you know, so i called him out i called him out on his facebook on his uh, youtube page i said you're a professional besides your method being poor it sounds like intentional sabotage i mean no one can be that trying to be polite dumb sorry i mean it's well it just I, it, 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 it just didn't understand uh, he just doesn't understand the really yeah, he isn't yeah i don't think i don't I, I think he truly just doesn't understand it wow uh i mean because we've we've you and i you know, all three of us we've read stuff we've studied stuff we realize that this is that there's there's the science behind it uh dictates that you know, if you look at a steak that thick at 120 degrees, two hours isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to do four to get it to 100, you know, the full, full 120 throughout. Um, and I truly believe he just doesn't under, didn't understand that that was the case. Well, another, and, thing, you, and the, another thing you said, though, was he put it in the ice bath for it to stop cooking so it didn't overcook. Yeah. If you're cooking yeah, at a precise but, temperature, it's not going to overcook. It's not going to keep cooking or, oh. or go over that temperature because well, you're. Well, he was, he did, but he, he was, I think he was, he took it a little far. So everyone talks about chilling, you know, often chilling the piece of meat before you sear it. So you don't raise the temperature above right. your target temperature. And also to keep that nice uh, red, you know, edge to edge, uh, you know, no gray band and all that stuff. And I think he just sort of didn't understand that either and, and took it a little far. So by the time you got that, I mean, I'd have, to, I'd have to look it up how long Lloyd could probably tell you. 
Um, he's done experiments <laughs> with the cooling stuff down. I actually uh, have a, I actually and, have a post on that, by the way. Uh, it's in there. Uh, I think it says, uh, you look at it right now, and I have, I have the actual, <laughs> sorry, I actually have the temperature probe right there on the screen. It's called to shock or not shock, I think, on the experiments. But yes, uh, what Kevin just said is to mitigate overcooking or taking it beyond the optimum target temperature, basically. And I, and Kevin could talk about step-down cooling process, too, which is a little different, but... Uh, um, yeah, and I understand that you know that you don't want it to overcook during the sear. But what he was getting at during the video was that he was trying to stop the cooking process for which was going crazy. on on the sous vide. Side, oh, which, yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of what he was getting. That was what he was getting at is that he was stopping the cooking process, you know, um, from going any higher. Which you, know, you, you really didn't need to do that if you wanted to cool it so you could have more time in, to sear. That's great. But what he ended up doing was making that sous vide steak super cold, right. a lot colder than the the other one. Not and, understanding the concept. And the other one was yeah, and the other one wasn't cooked. You know, I mean, it wasn't cooked where it should have been in the but first. People place. that sous vide all the time, you tell you tell somebody putting it in an ice bath or setting on the counter, we know right away we're just trying to drop the temperature out a few degrees so we don't overcook it. He's actually trying to stop the cooking. <laughs> the, right. There's no stopping. Right. So. Yeah. Getting back, to, getting back to the thickness of like, uh, like I, I just did a video. I, I got this new thing called the meat stick and um, it, what interested me in it, I looked at the meter. There's some other ones on the market that it's a wireless thermometer. That's just a probe itself and it's got Bluetooth and this one in particular has Wi-Fi, and you can actually put it in the meat. And this one, and the one I just got is waterproof and deep fryer proof, believe it or not. You could stick it in a deep fryer. But I, I used it That's to, amazing. to wow. actually uh, put in the uh, sous vide. And I did a, uh, a big, um, big roast. And I said, well, let me stick it in here and see if it works. And it did. And it actually worked pretty good. I mean, it, it uh, I did a chuck roast. It was about almost three, three and a half inches thick. And it, it held temperature. I mean, it, the only thing, the ambient, it's got both a internal temperature and an ambient temperature. So it can read the air or water. And um, then the inside of the meat, the ambient temperature was off by one degree, which I can handle. That's really good. But, but the internal was right dead on by what the water, what the circulator said the water temperature was. And I verified that with an instant read. <laughs> That the, you know, the the water was at one thirty five, and the uh, the uh, ambient or the internal temperature of the meat, since it was chuck roast, I cooked it for twenty four hours. It it stayed at one thirty five the whole time, and I did that just so I could show people how long it takes. Like your your experiment there, Lloyd, it takes for that piece of meat, that thick piece of meat, to get to that temperature that you're wanting to eventually have it sit at for a long period of time. And it took almost two hours for that three and a half inch thick chuck roast to get to 135. So for like the Baldwin's tables, um, I, I gotta admit, I haven't studied them in as probably as much as you both have, but does the pasteurization time that those tables use start at that temperature or does it have, does it have a built-in climb method? Well, I actually, talked to Baldwin specifically about this and then I had a conversation and if you get into the if you get into the nitty-gritty of the book 
that talks about time to temperature charts versus the pasteurization charts. And you'll find that the, in some instances, the pasteurization tables will have a shorter time than it takes for the meat to come to temperature because pasteurization is, is non-linear. It starts at lower temperatures. Pasteurization will start like at 126. So let's say he has um, for XYZ millimeter at this temperature, right? Well, he's not saying that it's actually reached that internal temperature. He's saying that at that temperature at this time, it is pasteurized. So for example, and don't quote me on this, let's say you have a, a 145 degrees piece of chicken, right? You put it in there and um, it says cook it for X amount of time. Well, the pasteurization time might be shorter than the time to temperature because pasteurization took place starting in the low 130s. Um, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. actually, it probably got pasteurized at 135 for XYZ time, but you set it at 145, which is a hotter than, uh, hotter than core temperature approach to, to the food, not looking at an equilibrium type of cooking process. Yeah, because you can, I mean, if you're cooking it to a, to an internal temperature, if you want the, your result to be 145 all the way through, uh, at 142, it could be fully pasteurized at 140, exactly. something, you know. Because it just, as it gets warmer, the time takes, it's less time to pasteurize. So you're going to get there before you reach the, the core temperature. Now, one of the things that I understand is that when I'm cooking something for a long period of time, like, like I do with um, chuck roast, you know, I did that one for 24 hours. I know that I really, <clears throat> how long it takes to get to that um you know, the core temperature to the temperature I'm cooking at doesn't really make a difference for pasteurization because it's in there for such a long time, but where it could play into, you know, uh, as on these shorter cooks, you know, the steaks or, you know, cooks are you're only doing for a couple hours, you know, that uh, when you got something real thick, you know, a prime rib, if you're only going to cook it for six hours, you really kind of want to know, you know, how long it takes for it to get up to that, um, uh, temperature you're cooking at so that you can kind of time it from there because you do still want to have it sit at your optimum time you know your temperature for a certain amount of time and if it takes two hours for it to get to let's just say 135 and you're only cooking for three hours you're not really only cooking it you know for that one hour that it took to get up there so yeah i found for ribeyes for me once it reaches target temperature i add another three hours to tenderize it that's, that's been my uh, experience anyway. Yeah. yeah I, actually, I, I did a, sorry, I did, I did a chuck eye uh, a few weeks ago and uh, which is, it's from the, it's right next to prime rib. Uh, it's, you know, a small one cut. Uh, I think it's from between the fifth and sixth rib, but uh, I left it in the bath. I wanted to say, I went for 20 hours. I just want to see what would happen. And the texture was not, it was fine. It didn't become mushy. It wasn't too soft. So surprisingly, uh, that those cuts can actually hold up to long, longer cooking cooking times than most people actually think. Um, yeah. I've only had a couple times where I've turned turned a piece of meat into a piece of mush. It's happened to a couple times, but and those are usually seventy two hour cooks when they should right. have been forty eight. Yeah, I've done. You know, I experimented with London broil or top round. 
you know, um, whatever you want to call it, whatever the grocery store labels it. <laughs> the uh, My wife actually, she loves that piece of meat and she loves it when I sous vide it because I can turn it into, you know, the, the tenderness of a filet. It doesn't, it's not quite taste like a, a filet, but she doesn't like ribeye. She doesn't like, you know, steaks with a lot of fat content in them, but I do, but, you know, so she likes when I, when I make the, um, you know, top round that way. And I've experimented like you, Kevin, I, I've played around with, I just do this with everything I cook CV because I know there's such a big range that I, I try to dial in where everybody likes that, you know, particular, my wife doesn't particularly care for medium rare or rare, but she likes more medium well. So I try to hit that. Well, that's one thing you can do with sous vide is you can kind of hit you're it. Still married, make, and you're still married. Yeah, wow! But, but I can get it to where I'm I'm happy with it, and she's happy with it. So I can kind of get it to like close to you know just above medium, but not quite medium well, where she's happy with it and she can eat it. And then I can go. Well, it's not. What are you doing? One forty, one forty-five. What are you doing? One forty, one forty-five. Usually I do it like 139 to, to 140 and then okay. she, she's happy with it and I'm happy with it. And how long are you going for? Well, I'm, now I go, I go 24 to 36 hours max. Really? Wow. So, yeah. Because I can, yeah, I can get it to, you know, I don't, want, I don't want it full, you know, that quite filet. I want it to kind of be like in between you know, a filet and a, and a strip steak. So, I mean, it turns out pretty good. I mean, we, you know, it kind of took me a while to dial it. I did, you know, turn one to mush once when I went out to, uh, you know, over 48 hours. And, uh, so I've, I've done turned some stuff into mush, but that's one of the things I love about CV is there is such a wide range of time and temp that you can play around with it and just nail it down to where, you know, you can make it to, to, to what you like. So. And, and a, yeah, like you issue. said, you're using you're using ahead, top ahead. round. I use uh, I go uh, I have a lot of fun with eye round because that is one of the toughest pieces of meat you're gonna find. And uh, when I tell people it's eye like when I tell them here try this, and then tell me what cut it is, they never guess it's eye round because I've actually made it quite tender, and it makes great sandwich meat and it's cheap as dirt. <laughs> it's one of the cheapest meats you can buy. Yeah, I just did one of those not too long ago. I made a big roast beef out of it. And, uh, it, it, you know, I sous vide, I think I did it for 36 hours at um, like 134. And then, uh, you know, stuck it in the refrigerator, let it cool down, you know, for a couple of days and then sliced it up, man. It makes the best roast beef. And it does. Su super, super tender too. I'll do the eye yeah. around like you guys. If I'm using a knife, I'll go 36 hours. I'm using my Burkle slicer. 24 hours because I'm cutting on the burkle. It's just tiny, tiny, tiny slices. But back to time to temperature and thickness. And Kevin, I have, I've talked to, I got to adjust my chair here. Um, breaking the springs, I'm so big, I'm getting so much weight. I'm telling you. So um, you can't tell the difference. So if someone pulls a piece of meat out prematurely based on a time and they were expecting 135, in reality, it comes out at 131. They don't know the difference. They can't tell the difference. It, I th that's what I point out in my experiments. The eye cannot tell the difference between 131 and 135. And that's one of the things that I don't like about the Jewel app, believe it or not, because it does have those pictures and it can fool people into thinking that, okay, so it's going to look like this when it comes out. And, and so that's what I want when 
like you said, that could have been, you don't know that picture was actually well, what, what that was. So. Would you do me a favor, since you're right there, bring in my experiment, the last one, and look at the eye of round. Take a look at the eye of round, so, you, okay. so your audience can see that. Yeah, Lloyd and I uh, discussed his latest experiment, the, the perception of doneness test he did. Uh, and he actually quizzed me before he posted it. And I think I got 23% right, something in the mid-20s. You scored 27%. 27%, I'm guessing, which I thought was actually pretty good. Pretty good. It was hard. So uh, scroll down a little bit. Scroll down. Look, number 10. Look at, look at number 11. That's the eye of round at 128 degrees. Okay? That's the eye of round. And that how long? Is, well, that's 24 hours. Now, the mind a little bit changed. Now, scroll up more. I have all the answers. So go higher the other way, the other direction, the other direction. Right here. Go lower then. Answer. See the answers? So scroll down now. Click on, the, click on that image right there. Right there with the answers. It says answers. Click on that. Click here to enlarge photo. Just click on the uh, actual photograph. There we go. So the eye around was 128. If you look at the color, how pale it is, but look at the terrace major, 131. It looks, looks very, very uh, rare. Very, very rare. The yeah, because every muscle has, every animal and most of the muscles have different myoglobin contents. Yep. So sometimes I can do, you can do two, two of the same cuts of meat from two different animals at the same temperature and the appearance of doneness is different. Oh, yes. I mean, if you look at, for example, uh, upper left-hand corner, the ribeye, 133, that was prime. Much, much, it's a five degree temperature difference between the eye of round and the ribeye up in the corner, but the eye of round looks much paler. Look at the New York, same temperature off to number nine. Well, and what's the difference between the ribeye in the top left corner and then the one right underneath it when it's the same temperature? Quality. Yeah. So the number, number, number two, number, so number two is a ribeye, okay. Uh, that is choice cut. Number five is also choice, uh, where the ribeye number four, number one, the, that's prime. Look at number four. That came from crowded cow. Um, that was crowded uh, cow. Crowd cow. Thank you. Um, crowded cow. Oh my gosh, crowded cow. Uh, that's a, a, a nice, really two two and a quarter inch prime piece of meat there. One thirty three, and that that was amazing. Look at number eight, right? That looks almost dry and, and pat. I mean, it doesn't look that great. It didn't, that didn't taste that good either, that one. That was 130. Was that a choice? That was choice. Was it number yeah. eight, choice? Okay. Choice. Yeah. Number eight's choice, two's choice, five is choice. Where number three is a tri-tip, okay? That was a prime uh, tri-tip, 133. And you cut it with the grain. That, that really ticks me No, off. you're wrong. <laughs> That was the first cut. I cut it in half. <laughs> All the subsequent slices after that were against the grain. They were flawless. Gotcha. Well, in the post, I, I tried to do that. That um, what that really tells me, and then what a lot of people don't understand. You know, we get this in the groups all the time. Is that the quality of the meat has a big, um, probably a much bigger uh, influence on how it turns out than just the time and temp because I get yeah. people all the time. They'll say, well, I tried it, you know, 131 for uh, three hours and it was garbage. I hated it. And they won't understand that 
you, you probably got a select or a no roll, you know, if yeah. it's that bad. And it, it can, it, you know, it, it, you know, sous vide can do a lot of things and it can make a, a cheaper cut or a, you know, a lower quality cut better, but it's not, it's not a miracle, you know, working thing. It, you know, it can't take something that's a piece of crap, piece of meat and turn it into, you know, still, you know, a, you know, a Wagyu, you know, it, it can make it better and more palatable, but it's not going to, and that's what that, that chart really shows me is that it, it does, it, it does uh, depend on I the quality another, of the meat. I wrote another blog on uh, cooking high fat protein, specifically ribeye. And I found at least for me, uh, a quality ribeye at 133 is great. Uh, uh, a ribeye of choice quality or select, which I've never bought select, but you can look at the ribeye and say, well, that, that's a piece of crap. It's going to need like 135, 136 to break down the connective tissue. And those three ribeyes I showed you that were uh, of the same, um, the 135 tasted better than the 131 and 133. And they were cut off the same primal, exactly 34 millimeters. The 135 was better than the 131. Yeah, I prefer. Taste-wise. Yeah, I prefer my ribeyes like and that. chuck roast about the same temperature, about 134, 135. So mm -hmm. I like Would you attribute the taste Lloyd, would you attribute the taste difference to the fat being melted more? Yes. Or being softer. Okay, softer? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, Kevin. Absolutely. And not just the fat, it's the connective tissue as well. I mean, yes. especially when you got a chuck roast or a ribeye, there's there's you know connective tissue in there there's Lots multiple muscles in there so it doesn't break down it's good it's, it's it doesn't taste good right it, it, yeah where the crowd cow uh ribeye that was a 2.25 pound and i have a post on that specifically so i ate this thing okay 2.2 pounds well I, I i shared it i shared it and um if you look at the photographs i'd have the only thing that's left is a piece of bone every morsel of that ribeye was eaten there was no hard connective tissue no gristle nothing it was an amazing piece of meat they have some amazing stuff i mean i like a lot of their stuff most of their stuff even though it's not graded you know they don't have prime you know most of their stuff comes from high quality farms so oh, yeah. they don't they don't have to pay the extra for the uh you know the grading from the government hey all this is darren and i want to take a minute to talk to you about masterclass I just signed up for Masterclass, and I can tell you what, it's well worth it. Masterclass is where you can learn how to cook from Gordon Ramsay. You can learn how to sous vide from Thomas Keller. You can learn how to make Texas barbecue from Aaron Franklin himself. All these classes are available on Masterclass, plus many more. Masterclass has great video content, interactive assignments, social interaction with the Masterclass community, all for just one fee. You can either buy each individual class for $90 each, or you can sign up for the annual pass, which gives you access to all their classes for just $180. And that's what I signed up for. Check it out, guys. Masterclass has some of the best online training you can find. Check it out, guys, in the link below. Masterclass, amazing. Now on to the show. I mean, I, I've had good and I've had bad steaks from from just about everywhere, but most of the stuff I get from Crowd Cow, I've, I've never had an issue with. But um, it's expensive, but you know, sometimes you got to splurge. But I, I, I do like going to Costco and buying a lot of their prime, even though that's a lower level prime. It's not really the prime that you'd get at a 
you know, top steakhouse. But I usually wet age the stuff I get from uh, from Costco because of the fact that... You're buying the cryovac, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I buy the the full subprimals, you know, like the ribeye or the the top sirloin. I'll buy the top sirloin a lot because it's $5.99 a pound. Yes. You know, and I'll let that sit in my outdoor refrigerator, you know, for a couple weeks and... You know, it's fine because they don't wet age their, 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 you know, beef. So there's steaks that sit in the package, whether it's prime or choice, I will not buy. They're they're terrible. Well, they, they actually blade tenderize all their cut stuff anyway. So I don't, I don't buy it. Not that I'm worried about that. It's just, I'd rather take it home and wet age it and and get the same result. I don't don't understand the decision by Costco to do that blade tenderizing because I, I mean every well, well, complains about I, I understand it because I talked to a distributor and he said that what Costco does, I'm not sure who supplies for the meat, they kill the animal, they hang it, they drain the blood, they cut it in the steaks and put it in the package. There's like there's no hanging time at all. I think right. usually it's 30 days, right? Like like you said, there is no wet aging, there's no dry aging. And look at slaughtered, blood drained, cup of the steaks, put in the package. And that's exactly. why they tenderize it because they know it's going to be tough. It sucks. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't realize they did that. Yeah. If you look yeah. at their package, yeah, if you look at their package, it'll tell you the slaughter date on it. And it's like a week from when you, they put it in the store. So there's no, amazing. There's no hanging time at all. So. Most, most steaks you buy if you go into a grocery store probably have at least three weeks of wet aging under their belt. They have some time in there. At least. Know, I would say at least, at least you know almost three weeks mm-hmm. so yeah if costco isn't doing any of that then i then i guess but the problem is it even says on the package that they want you to cook that to an internal temperature of 160 or 165 which i think it's 160 that's just yeah well and that's because it's pretty, blade pretty, pretty so, yeah yeah and they're just yeah. covering they're covering cover- their butts but you know it's exactly they, they know most people aren't doing that but it's still i mean i i i know why they do it too it's it's cheaper they don't have to have the uh, space to, you know, hang the meat. They just slaughter it and get it gone and, you know, put it in the stores. But I would, I, you know, like I said, I, I don't buy their cut stuff. I never have. Yeah. I, I'll buy their full subprimals and I'll let them sit out in my refrigerator for a couple of weeks in wet age before I even cut into them. Then I'll cut them up into steaks, you know, and freeze them and vacuum seal them up and put them in the freezer. So I buy their prime tri-tip cryovac. Oh, love it. Well, us on the East Coast, we can't get their tri-tip. The only ones they sell over here in Florida, anyway, are the pre-marinated ones oh. from CAB. That is, it's got such a high salt marinade on it that I, I bought it once, and I said I'd never buy the stuff again because. Can you buy picanha? I can buy it. I can buy it not at Costco. I can buy it at the uh, Latin supermarkets. I got. I, I have a big. None. I have a big, um, not just Mexican, but Cuban population in Tampa. So there's a lot of Latin markets around. I can go buy that um, at the Latin uh, grocery stores. Really. Out here, you say picanha, they go, what? Yeah. They have no idea what you're talking about. Now, the, the Costco, I don't know why they do this, but they take, you know, they, they cut the uh, cap off, and I don't know what they do with it. Here, but they'll, they'll sell me, you know, the, the top sirloin without the cap on it, but they don't sell picanha. So it's like, wow. uh, what are you guys doing with the the rest of it? Are you where are you well, sending it? <laughs> I've been getting my picanha from uh, Snake River Farms, the Wagyu. Yeah, I wrote a whole blog on that. Amazing! Oh dear, 
All it needed was salt. No, no spices, nothing. Just salt. Uh, amazing. The flavor. Oh, gosh. But I can buy it pretty well, it's usually like six, seven bucks a pound at the oh. Latin markets, and it's usually choice grade, but which is usually okay. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I don't uh, need steak, River Farms. Talk about twenty-three to twenty-five a pound. Oh yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's expensive. Anything oh, yeah. on Snake River Farms is expensive. So, oh yes. I mean, that's what the barbecue comp- competitors they buy their wagyu briskets for. You know, two fifty. You know, for I'm not paying two hundred and fifty dollars on a damn brisket. So, I was I was looking at Snake River Farms uh, website yesterday, and they're selling dry aged beef fat. Now they're they're cutting the fat off of the tenderloin, grinding it up, and then dry aging the fat, which I don't think really happens, but maybe it does. But they're charging thirty dollars a pound for it. That's stuff that would usually just go in the you know, go into dog food or makeup. Usually, <laughs> I think you got my response to that. Where's the enzymatic uh, breakdown of fat? Where, yeah, uh, exactly. And what, how are the flavor compounds? How's, how's the flavor changing? You know, I mean, if it, I, I understand if it's attached, if it, yes, yeah, if it's attached to a piece of meat, I could see it possibly absorbing some flavors while dry aging on the attached to the meat, right. but just fat alone in a refrigerator. You know, you know, I just don't see it working, but maybe it does. It's about it's losing moisture is about all it's doing. So, I mean, and by the way, well, it's it fat. Yeah, it doesn't it's lose that kind of moisture like yeah. people think it does. Because I cure meats, and when I cure meats, it's based on the green weight versus you want to lose twenty five or thirty percent. If you got a piece that's very very fatty, it may never achieve a thirty percent weight loss because the fat does not lose that much moisture, you end up drying out your meat. So you got to take that into account when you're actually curing your meat and you're drying it to reach a certain uh, percentage. Fat does not lose that kind of percentage at all. It really does. Oh, yeah. It definitely doesn't lose as much as, as um, muscle no. tissue. That's for sure, yeah. Well, I mean, take a bowl, bowl of oil, olive oil and stick it in your refrigerator uncovered for a year and a half and weigh it before and after. You'll have the exact same weight. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's some weird things out there and and most of it's marketing ploy. I think a lot of people are sold buzzwords and a lot of people are nowadays they read an article on some blog or somewhere, um, you know, some magazine that demonizes something and they attach themselves to it. And then everything else, you know, everything's bad unless I, it's got this, you know, the whole organic like MSG. uh, Yeah. MSG, uh, the whole organic uh, gluten-free, I mean, how many people now have problems with gluten that never had problems with gluten before just because Except of- during COVID. All the <laughs> shelves are empty. <laughs> yeah. Bakers, people are baking now. And yeah. I know there's people Can't that find have problems. I know people have, there are people that have, you know, you know celiac d- disease and some people that can't handle gluten. But, you know, 10 years ago, before it became a, a, a buzzword and a panic button, you know, we didn't have this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of it, people get that stuff caught up in their head and then just everything's bad unless it's this now. So it's also marketing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, marketing. It's approximate, approximately 1% of the U S population has celiac disease. Right. But when you start, and then like there's people saying, jumping on the train saying they they've gluten sensitivity, which gluten sensitivity isn't you're either allergic to it or you're not, I mean, you're not a little sensitive to it. 
Right. It's just yeah, bought it's, my wife pop. Sorry. Just bought my wife some popcorn, right? Container of popcorn is popcorn. Gluten free. Well, no kidding. It's corn. It's free nice. range. It's <laughs> <Yeah>, free, <laughs> free range. Corn. Cage free. Yeah. Cage oh free. My God. So it's whole marketing. You know? Well, you get all your spices now. They say gluten-free on them. It's like, really? I mean, the salt is gluten-free. Are you sure the salt is gluten-free? <laughs> I bought some masa. I bought, I bought some masa the other day. It said gluten-free. I'm like, it's corn. It's, it's yeah. But, yeah, it's it's just a buzzword. And people, you know, well, we got to – it's it's like the whole – this coffee's hot. You know, they got to put the warning label on the coffee cup that it's hot so that you know that this hot coffee you just bought's hot. I mean, people, it's all marketing. It's making people feel good. It's um, Remember the 80s? Low fat. Yeah, everything was low fat. And, uh, oh, well. All right, guys. So what else What else uh, have you been experimenting on, Lloyd? Or what do you got coming up that um, we can look forward to? Because uh, Well, I got into a discussion, and uh, I, I won't fall on my sword for it, but I had a discussion with somebody about time to temperature, not only based on thickness, but in my opinion, the diameter of the food. It's my contention that if I was to take uh, something that was, um, I was use a prop here, can you guys see this? You guys can see that. Let's say you took a, a two-inch circle that was two inches in diameter and two inches thick. I believe that would come to temperature faster than, let's say, a six-inch circle that was two inches thick, meaning that it cooks from the sides also, not just from top and bottom. I got into a contentious argument with somebody about that. So I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy two big-ass primal ribeyes right cut off the same section i'm going to cut off the eye i'm going to cook that separately well in the same container with two different probes and cook the whole ribeye and see which one comes to temperature first so now what what do you think that's going to prove besides the difference in the time it proves two things i'm going to win the argument which is important <laughs> to me all right <laughs> But it, that food does cook from the side, so you should take that into consideration. So, for example, if you got a, a fillet, right? Fillet is this big by this round, that will come to temperature faster, let's say, than a ribeye of the same thickness. That, that's where this, the conversation originated. You know, I'm, I'm saying, well, that fillet, although it's the same thickness as that ribeye, the fillet will come to temperature faster because the diameter is smaller. And this person I was debating with, who was a chef, uh, didn't believe me and I'm like I'll prove it to you so I'm just gonna take two big ass ribeyes uh, I'm trying to get as thick as I can cut the eye out right and sous vide that and cook the whole ribeye and see which one comes to temperature first so but I'm gonna eat it all too so it's a win-win so have you done any experiments that would take different proteins like let's let's say a um, chuck roast and a top round and see if they come to temperature at different times. Because no, but I've thought about that, and, and, and Kevin and I have talked about this before um, uh, in the past. Uh, but thermodynamically, if you look at the protein, fat, connective tissue, the myoglobin, the, the type of protein, I think it makes a big uh, difference. There's insulators in the meat. How does it, how does it uh, heat transfer? How does it happen with the filet versus the ribeye versus the chuck roast? Is it based on fat content? Tissue. Yeah, obviously it's going to be. I'm mean, thinking about a piece of fish. I mean, if you took yeah, a one-inch piece, one-inch thick, 
a one-inch thick piece of cod and a one-inch thick piece of beef, the cod's going to get cooked, going to be coming up temperature faster, higher well, water content. And chickens yes. as well. I mean, like, you know, you take a chicken breast and a chicken thigh. I mean, it's, you know, even though it's still part of a chicken, I mean, it's slightly different, you know, uh, you know one, one muscle is used a lot more than the other. So it's, it's tougher. It's got that connective tissue. It's got well, the... Uh, I think you guys, in fact, you just gave me a great idea. How about taking uh, a piece of halibut? Let's, take, let's talk fish. Thank you, Kevin. Halibut. Halibut's thick, right? Let's take a, a, a one-inch piece of halibut and contrast that with, say, cod. A one-inch piece of cod. Which will come to temperature faster? I bet the cod does over the halibut. I'm guessing. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'll I haven't really read anything up. I mean, I've never seen anyone do it, but... I'll do it. I'm sure there's... A, yeah? I'll do it. That'd be great. <laughs> I'll do it. What the hell? You know? Solved. So. Good. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Well, the, the whole point I'm trying to make is that there's so much more to take into consideration because sous vide is a precision cooking, uh, you know, method. I mean, where you're using a precise temperature for a period of time that you got to take a lot of these things into consideration. That's why cooking a chicken breast is different than cooking a, you know, uh, a ribeye steak because you got to take all this stuff into consideration besides just the pasteurization tables and, and time to temp and how long you want this, you know, in, in your sous vide bath for tenderness wise, because you can cook a chuck roast for 10 hours. You can cook it for 20 hours. You can cook it for 48 hours and it's going to come out different every, you know, time level. So, and also, you know, it's a fillet, like you said, like we said before, something like a fillet that's already tender. If we cook it for 24 hours, we know it's going to turn to mush. Mush. So, um, what's also important to bring up is pasteurization. And what I mean by that, some people feel as though you can take a piece of meat, dump it in the water. It doesn't make a difference how long you cook for, as long as it's pasteurized, right? Well, I think you should take a piece of meat, well, whatever it is, and cook it to the minimum temperature. I'm sorry, the minimum time to bring it to the, temp the point in which you like it. Don't go beyond that because you will lose moisture. So my buddy bought a sous vide, took a, uh, had to be a three-quarter inch uh, a New York steak, 24 hours, right? And it turned to mush. He goes, well, I thought I couldn't hurt it. You dried it out. There's, there's this water in the bag. So you got to choose that, that temperature and time that, Assess your needs. No, don't go beyond that. There's, there's diminishing returns. Well, and I, I did that a lot when I started messing around with CV. I, I tried different times and temps, and I started out doing like a London broil or the top round and chuck roast at 48 hours or longer. And I decided that I didn't really like it at that tender. I wanted it more you know, at the 24 to 36 hour uh, range at a, at a 134. So, I mean, that's, that's why you got to kind of experiment on your own. And instead of just going in and asking, Hey, what's the time and temp on this? I, I tell everybody, you can try it here. here I'm going to give you a suggestion. Try this and then try this range. So because, you know, you because take, for example, a fillet, once it reached the target temperature, right? Not thinking about pasteurization, it's already a tender piece of meat. There's no benefit to right. go longer. A chicken breast, I've found, at one inch at 90 minutes, not only pasteurizes it, but it tastes great. 
I took that same chicken breast and I went to three hours, there was no benefit to the protein or to me. It's, it's tender, more tender, but it's actually lost some moisture at right. 90 minutes, 94 minutes for a one inch piece, actually, if you want to be real precise. It's pasteurized, it's already tender. If I go to three hours, I've done nothing. So the minimum time to achieve the desired outcome, basically. Yeah, I do think it is a myth when people do say, oh, you can't hurt it with sous vide because you can. There's things you can do. You can undercook it. You can overcook it. You can make it turn to mush. There's, there's a lot of different things, just like any cooking method. You can screw it up. I mean, it's, it, it takes you a little bit you know, more. You got to, you know, but there's What still- I wanted to touch on is Kevin's experience. He just took a Korea class on uh, H. Uh, Hassip. So any epiphanies there, Kevin? As far as safety goes? Yeah, what did, what did uh, you learn that you, that you didn't already well, know? Yeah, my class, well, quite, I, HACCP's a really interesting process and program, and it's very frustrating. Um, For all those people that don't know what HACCP is, what is HACCP? Oh, it's hazard analysis and critical control points. Uh, and basically, it's a program that was, it was designed by NASA in the 60s to oh, protect. Oh, I didn't know that. They, yeah, they didn't want the astronauts getting food poisoning up in space because that would not be good. Uh, so they're the ones who developed it, and it's been pretty much uh, the standard for industrial food production safety uh, in this country and pretty much all over the world now. Uh, and what it is, basically, you go through, uh, you design flowcharts and identify critical control points and what the possible dangers are that could be in your food production. Uh, it's, pre- it's pretty much it's an industrial food production thing. I took it uh, because I felt if I was going to be teaching uh, sous vide to restaurants and caterers, uh, most likely, I'm not sure if it's true in Pennsylvania, but I know in a lot of states, if you're cooking food sous vide for, to be served to the public, you need a HACCP plan. And I took the course just to be able to go in and tell people, okay, I don't know if the health inspector is going to want you to require you to have a HACCP plan, but if you do need a HACCP plan, I can develop one for you. Uh, you know, and it's, it's an expensive process, but, and it takes quite a bit of time. And one of the biggest problems is uh, health inspectors can come in and just look at your HACCP plan and say, no, this is wrong. You got to redo it. And they can do that over and over and over. And they don't have to necessarily give you a reason. They can just say, I don't like it. It doesn't work for me. Redo it. Will they tell you what to do? How to fix it? Not necessarily. You you can ask them. It depends, you know, how nice they are. You could ask them, well, what part don't don't you like? What would you change? And maybe they'll help you. Maybe maybe they won't. Maybe they don't like you and they don't like your restaurant and they're just not going to approve it. I was in a place in Tacoma, Washington, uh, a real fancy beer place. Oh, amazing beer. Oh, my gosh. They serve food, and the guy happened to be a chef. We started talking about sous vide, and at least at least two years ago, sous vide is not allowed in Tacoma, Washington. You cannot prepare food and serve it to the public that's been uh, done with sous vide. Yeah, yeah, wow. it was it was illegal. It was illegal in New York. New York had made it illegal because they didn't understand it. Um, and Bruno Gasseau, who is the the guy who you know, modern, modern inventor of the sous vide process has been trying to convince, you know, get some national standardization and say, Hey, listen, this is actually a safer cooking process than everything else is being used in these kitchens. 
um, and here's the here's the data to prove it. And they won't. They it's still not accepted. They just don't understand it. They don't want to hear a, it. And, and so they're, they're required plan? a HACCP program. Is there a HACCP plan for sous vide? Can you like open a book and say, okay, I'm going to cook sous vide in my restaurant. This is the plan I have to use. I've never seen it. Never standard. Not wow. no standardization. You have to you have to develop because every restaurant's different. So you have to have you know you have to be you have, need monitors for your refrigerator temperature. You need to analyze partic- possible mechanical issues. Uh, oh, wow. And there's a lot. There's, since every restaurant is a different is different, uh, you might be able to do it for McDonald's if they were doing it because their restaurants are de- designed pretty much the exact same way to be producing food in the exact same way. Uh, but independent restaurants just don't have – they just – everything's different. So you have to customize each asset plan. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. When I, when I yeah, had – when I had AJ Scheller on the podcast, we talked about that because she spends a lot of her time uh, teaching teaching uh, restaurants how to develop the, the HACCP plans. And uh, it does play a big part, especially we did talk about the New York issue that they had, you know, a few years back where they pretty much shut, you know, you could, they shut it out of all the restaurants and they had to switch to steam ovens. So to try to get this, you know, similar result. And, um, a, a lot of it was because they didn't understand it. And, you know, Crea had to go in and kind of, you know, help these restaurants out and then go in and show. And she even said, even now, a lot of these health inspectors don't know what sous vide is or understand what it is and you know, what the, you know, the precise cooking, you know, is. So. Yeah, we did, we used, uh, some combi ovens when I took the sous vide course at Korea. Uh, you know, bagged up vegetables. It was all, all vegetables. We didn't do any proteins in the ovens. Uh, but it's interesting that they had to do that in New York because the heat conductivity of steam isn't as as good as, uh, you know, plain water at the same, you know. And it also limits, and I'm not sure exactly how those uh, ovens work 100%. That's the first time I ever really worked with these, uh, with the ones they have, rationale, rationale ovens. They're amazing ovens. I mean, absolutely amazing and they're $30,000 a piece, but, you know, and you can do a lot of things, but we had to, we ended up doing vegetables, uh, sous vide in those ovens. It was interesting. I'd never done it that way before, oh, wow. but it worked. Yeah. I can't wait till Innovas comes out. So I'm hoping, to, hoping to check that, check that thing out. So I know yeah, that's going to be interesting. What are they coming out with? A combi yes. oven. Combi steam oven, like a, a portable, kind of like the size of your Breville. But uh, that has oh, steam uh, I option. I something small on that. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. I know that um, Scott Hummendinger is working on that with them. So he actually is working for them now. And that's his main job is um, uh, working on that steam oven. So it's, they've got some prototypes out there. I don't think they've released it yet. They keep threatening to. So <laughs> we're going to see, I actually got a survey from them the other day, um, asking me some questions, general questions on, you know, what I would look for in a, you know, in a, in a you know, steam oven and price points that I would be attracted to it. You know, just kind of a general overall, what I would, you know, compare it to that's on the market. Cause there are some on the market already and they're right around four or $500, but they, they have different options and what the Innova is coming out with. But, It'll be interesting to see because, you know, Scott Hummendinger, he's a, he, he knows sous vide. So um, he's, uh, you know, 
a great guy to be having uh, on that. So it'll be interesting to see it. Yeah, I, I looked on Amazon, found some some of those countertop ones. Uh, I just don't have any experience with them. I don't know anything about them. Me either. The Innova looks pretty interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what they come up with. That's for sure. I've been I've been using the Breville's uh, countertop oven. It's got like a thousand features, and oh dear, I love that thing. I, I use that more than my my commercial oven in my house. Yeah, I, I have a couple of friends of mine that have the same thing, and they love theirs too. But um, I love it. I just don't have the counter space for another. Uh, oh, neither do I. Mine's on a cart. <laughs> Mine's I have things on carts. My wife's not crazy about it, but I love this thing. Proofing bread air fry the other night i did three things at once in there it was it's phenomenal I, I love it so the one thing i don't need is another kitchen gadget right now but oh that's that steam oven got me interested i i got a couple on my list i still want and i have everything and i have just about everything so my next is a pellet grill i'm gonna buy you and i've talked about that too but that's not in the uh, kitchen so I got plenty of grills. I got, you know, I got another one coming soon, but you know, I've got plenty of outdoor cooking stuff and actually, oh, yes, yes, you do. now I got three vacuum sealers. So I got to try to find space because I still have a, a channel vac that I like to keep around uh, for larger items. And then I got two uh, chamber vacs now. So, all right guys, well, let's wrap this up. I want to thank you guys for being on. Um, uh, had some great discussions uh look forward to doing some more check out the kosher dosher blog and uh, also sous vide food and fun on facebook for kevin's website lloyd's also on there uh fire and water cooking uh, uh facebook page and group as well you'll find us all on there um and go there um and tell us what kind of experiments you want lloyd to do he loves doing Love to do stuff. it he uh, is a, he's retired and he loves to do these experiments. He gets into the, a lot of the stuff that, you know, I wish I could and had time to do, but um, thanks for joining us guys. Lloyd. Thank you. Always great to have you on Kevin. Always fun. Make sure you guys take <laughs> good care seeing of you guys again. Good seeing you guys. Take, take care yep, of yourselves. Stay safe. Thanks for joining us. guys. Hey, I you. really appreciate it. And uh, everybody, thanks for, following us on the fire and water cooking podcast join us again down the road thanks. thanks thanks again for joining us today on the fire and water cooking podcast make sure you check out our youtube channel where you can actually watch the video of this podcast as well i want to thank kevin and lloyd once again uh, you can check out lloyd's blog the kosher dosher also check out kevin's facebook group Zoom food and fun and make sure you follow the fire and water cooking on youtube facebook instagram and our website i'll see you again on the next fire and water cooking podcast